Namo Myoho Renge Kyo, Namo Myoho Renge Kyo, Namo Myoho Renge Kyo. Hi friends, how are you doing? I hope this finds you in good health and secure. Thank you for your practice. Thanks for being here. Um, we are in the expedient devices or skillful means chapter, the second chapter, the first part of Gongyo. Um, a very important chapter. And uh, already we've noticed with this Leon Hurwitz translation, uh, quite a, um, a shift in rhetoric. Uh, not, an, not an unwelcome thing. It seems uh, hmm, maybe even more personal because the terms are more familiar. And I re the reason why this is so important is the reason for this chapter is that uh, Shakyamuni over and over again during his entire teaching uh, life was a uh, solid proponent of teaching to the capacity, the familiarity of thinking of the people he was engaging. As he traveled through the country and as he told or instructed his uh, followers, disciples, students, I prefer that, um, as they memorized these particular sermons, remember he taught the same sermons for years, um, that as they went out to spread, to promulgate this, promulgate this teaching, that they should endeavor with skillful means to make it relatable even to the point of speaking in the dialects of the places they went to. So, so that this, it, you know, the Buddha nature, the Buddha, the capacity for Buddhaness, it's innate in everyone. But if you're talking to somebody in uh, terms, because Buddhism introduces a lot of new concepts about you know, Buddhist thought, it's so in some cases, really derails the cultural norms, the religious norms um, of people. And better not to drop the boom of a whole, you know, you'll you come to a, a high school student who's, uh, who's just learning geometry and algebra, and you say, okay, okay, here's particle physics and calculus, and we're now going to talk about... Um, you know, these formulations and how to solve them. Um, there might be a few students who go, wow, this is challenging. This is exciting. I want to get into this. There's going to be a great many students, though, who are just overwhelmed. It was like, man, I don't I need more time. I need you to break this down in terms I understand. Right. And then you're going to have some students who just go. I'm never going to, no, I don't, I'm good with algebra. In fact, that's a little step beyond where I see my life going. I'm good. Geometry is useful, but now <laughs> you guys have fun. I'm not even interested, right? And the same is, was certainly true. And even today uh, is not an unfamiliar situation, right? For anything, let alone Buddhism. And Buddhahood, right? I don't need to, you know, levitate on a lotus flower. Well, that's not what we're talking about. Oh, really? Well, then tell me what it's about. So 
there's a lot of ways to communicate with people to their vision, their understanding, their experience of the world. And it's different for everyone. You can group people together, but ultimately we're all, we all in, encounter the world. Our relationship with the world is very individual. And why do I say this? Because we're about to enter this very description in the Expedient Means chapter. This is what Shakyamuni's talking about. And the, the rhetoric that he's using uh, may still invoke gods and deities and so forth. But remember, always, Buddhism is about the mind. So when Shakyamuni does this, he's talking about the aspirations, the visualizations, the imaginations that kind of lead our minds, certainly in samsara. And this is, this is something Shakyamuni will talk about again later as we get into the Lotus Sutra, but he's mentioned before um, that the objective in our practice is to develop our mind such that it is the leader, the controller, the, uh, the, the mechanism by which we lead our lives rather than our lives being the leaders of our minds. And we've talked about it different ways, the monkey mind versus the, the clear Buddha mind, which, which is driving the boat, the ship, right? Car, whatever analogy you want. Um, and so this, this shift, this paradigm shift from the samsaric mind of constant distraction and attachment, craving and clinging, to a mind that goes... But there is no craving or clinging. That's, that's illusion. What's going on is what's going on. And the movement of it, the motion of it, the, the, the timelessness of it, as it manifests constantly and f flows through its amorphous manifestations, it's amazing. It's, it's all I can do to just appreciate that mechanism as it occurs, that the mind that sits in that realization doesn't it doesn't even consider right the the clingings and cravings because there's no there's no there's no use for those energies those those impositions on energies just being the energy it's just amazing and it's very liberating because now I can experience everything fully as it is right you may have heard a Buddhist say you know there is what there is, as it is it is or it isn't and you think okay that's really brilliant uh, but <laughs> but it doesn't have that anchor in your perception of meaning and so over and over and over again, the teachings of the Dharma are about seeing through this samsaric cacophony of distractions and identification and craving and clinging to see beyond that to what is occurring, being, right? Life is a verb. Mm -hmm. And when we do that, when we shift to that, we don't 
actively destroy, annihilate, or get rid of anything, you, you, or, or revulsion of it. The revulsion is probably the closer word, is that there's a sort of a, a, a big weight on our backs of our minds that just disappears because we're no longer in that place mentally, right? So one of Shakyamuni's, as he describes in this chapter, his first concerns is, how can I lead everyone to this? Because if I just drop the bomb on this, uh, this is what a Buddha mind is, as he did with the Avatamsaka when he first started out. He's, he pulls back and thinks, well, that's just going to make people run away from this. I may get a couple of converts, but most people are just going to go, whoa, what the heck are you talking about? That doesn't relate to me. I'm going to go over here and do this ritual stuff because that's familiar. Well, this is the whole purpose of inventive analogies, metaphors, uh, um, uh, devices, me, you know, ways of reaching people's minds, meeting them where they are and nurturing them forward rather than forcing upon them because that's what it feels like something so new that they just don't know if they even want to make the effort right so here we go for the sake of these beings i evince thoughts of great compassion right i don't just want to teach these people i want them to succeed i want them to reach this how to do that. When I first sat on the platform of the way, whether beholding the tree or walking about, throughout three weeks, I thought such thoughts as these. And this was probably that first Avatamsaka, Flower Garland, Kigan Sutra, right? Quote, the wisdom I have gained is the first among subtle things. The beings, their faculties dull. He wasn't calling them stupid. He just said they weren't ready to receive this knowledge. They, they hadn't gone through the steps that I've gone through, right? 12 years of arduous search. And now he's just dropping this on people. Oh, gosh, I haven't done this correctly. I'm, I'm driving them, perhaps driving them away. That's not what I want. So their faculties dull, in other words, not sharpened to the point where they will understand what I'm talking about. Are attached to pleasure and blinded by delusion. So as we've read before, that's the skandhas, right? Attached to pleasure is satiating the first five consciousnesses, right? You know, what's pretty to the eye? What's pretty to the ear? What's pretty to the tongue? What's pretty to taste or, or uh, feeling? All of that. Or even thinking, considering. Where can I find joy? And it's the joy we experience in samsara is all attached to pleasure. Not the level of pleasure of enlightenment, the level of pleasure of this physical world. And that's a huge obstacle to overcome. And if what you're presenting is not that, then the first thing you have to contend with is 
losing that. I still get questions today, right? Do we have to destroy the self? There's a great concern with the loss of things because everything in samsara is about gain or loss, right? Being of such sort as this, how can they be liberated from it? They have no desire to be liberated from it, right? They just want to know how to have more. At that time, the Brahmin kings and the chief of gods, Chakra, the four god kings who protect the world and the great gods who are their own masters, as well as all the other multitudes of gods and their retinues in the hundreds of thousands of myriads reverently joining palms and doing obeisance, begged me to turn the Dharma wheel. So is he talking about hundreds of thousands of people who are gods and kings and so no, he's talking about these aspirations, right? These imaginations of distributing this dharma, this happiness, this joy, this enlightenment, this liberation from where you are, even though you don't know that you want to be liberated from it, that there is anything else other. Hmm? So, I then thought to myself, if I merely praise the Buddha vehicle, the beings sunk in woe, right? From the perspective of Buddhaness, everybody's suffering and they're practicing because they know they're suffering, but they don't understand that the seeking out of pleasures is what's creating their suffering. That doesn't compute, right? Shall not be able to believe this Dharma. It'll be just too foreign, right? Reveal, uh, reviling the Dharma and not believing it Yikes, that's much worse. They shall fall into the three evil courses. Courses, coursing in Buddhist rhetoric is about living the experience of life, right? An experience of life. Attached, craving, clinging, right? I had rather not preach the Dharma then, but enter speedily into nirvana. Yikes, really? Run away? That doesn't sound like a solution. When I think back on the Buddhas of the past, great teachers, great sages who tried to enlighten people, his idea that Buddhaness has always been around, what have, what are the possibilities? How has that, you know, how did I come to this? How did this nurturing teaching reach people on the power of the expedient devices put into the practice by them right all great teachers use some kind of parable or example analogy to awaken in their students how geometry works how trigonometry works how calculus works how Addition works, how language gets put together, how to spell, how does grammar work, right? This throughout all teachings, there is this transitory communication to lead people from where they are to where they need to go. So he's analyzing this and he says, how can I apply this to teaching the Dharma? I know that in the way I have now gained, I too much, pre much 
must preach three vehicles. Right? This is when he decided that I have to set up temporary goals to elevate people from addition and subtraction to multiplication and division to formula then to abstractions like algebra. It's all the same thing, but there are different levels. And once you know a level, then you can muster some confidence that you could learn another level, right? Rather than being dumped on the very top level in the first place. No thanks, not interested, right? When I had had these thoughts, the Buddhas of the Ten Directions all appeared, comforting and instructing me with Brahma chant, Good Shakyamuni, you, the first of guide teachers, having gained this unsurpassed dharma, follow all the Buddhas in using the power of expedient means. That's right. So in, an, in another way, I hope you're catching, is Shakyamuni didn't set out to be a teacher. <laughs> he set out to figure out what enlightenment was. In fact, he set out to figure out how to live this life fully, freed, liberated, of the thoughts and the mindsets that precipitate our anxieties, our stress, our, quote, suffering. That was his goal. Now that he's reached it, his great compassion, because of reaching it, that everyone should experience this. And that was, to be fair, part of his goal early from the get-go when he was prior to his enlightenment, prior to his path toward enlightenment, right? Because he observed all this suffering and it, it made sense in his head that it didn't have to be this way. So his desire to help others was already there. But having reached Buddhahood, it was now an absolute mission because being happy and enlightened alone not quite satisfactory. We're human beings. We are instantiations of the same potential. We are related to one another. And so we're social animals. We're, we're social beings. And so if we can't share with a friend how amazing something is, it ceases to be so amazing, right? So, all of the imaginary beings that represent this kind of uh, impetus, this kind of motivation, come to mind and say, you've got it. This is, this is what's important. Right? That's what he's saying. All of us, too, have gained this most subtle prime dharma. Interesting that he uses the word prime, right? The word that I have been using for years now are, is the Latin term a priori, right? The first principle, if you will. For the sake of the varieties of living beings, discriminated preaching three vehicles. Those of slight wisdom desiring lesser dharmas because that's the shape of their desires. They can't consider more for themselves because they don't understand more. 
but they do understand just this much more, right? So their desiring lesser dharmas would not believe they could achieve Buddhahood, so they're not motivated to try. For this reason, by resort to expedient means or devices, we discriminated preaching various fruits. Fruition, if you will, comes from that, yeah? Fruits, achievements. But even though we preached three vehicles, this was only for the purpose of teaching bodhisattvas. There was always the motivation in teaching these level, teaching addition and subtraction, that one day you would be learning the next steps. And everything leads to a higher level, a higher level, until you get to the pinnacle, where you yourself are using all of these tools, making your own discoveries. That's the nature of all teaching, yeah? It's supposed to be. Shariputra, be it known that when I heard the saintly lions' deep, pure, and subtle voices, joyfully I proclaimed, Namo Buddha, 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 homage to the Buddhas, yeah? And then that I had this thought. Having come into a defiled and evil world, in other words, a world defiled by delusions, by samsaric cravings and attachments, hmm? being that condition is the obstacle to seeing clearly Buddhaness, certainly. As the Buddhas preach, so must I too in obeyance act. This is the obvious way to spread the Dharma. When I had had these thoughts, straight away I went to Varanasi. Since the quiet and extinct marks of the dharmas were not to be proclaimed in words, by resort to the power of expedient devices, I preached to the five bhikshus. This is called turning the dharma wheel. And those five bhikshus he's talking about were what remained of those dedicated students who believed that Shakyamuni would achieve something not before achieved. They were the first ones to learn of his enlightenment, yeah? Then there was a sound, the sound nirvana, as well as arhant, dharma, and sangha, several and distinct names such as these. Since remote kalpas, I have set forth with praise the dharma of nirvana the liberation from these samsaric attachments, clingings, cravings that precipitate all suffering. That's what he started out for. He didn't know it was called nirvana. He's saying these words now with new definitions in most cases because they were words that were around before but not used the way that his buddhaness would use them, Right? He did a lot of linguistic reinterpretations, reassignment of meaning, like the word karma, right? Revolutionary in how he explained what karma was. The woes of birth and death are forever terminated. 
Now, see, that may sound like annihilation and killing off, but that's not what it means. It means that attachment, that craving and clinging of samsaric attachments of of the cycle of birth and death, and that's in the first Buddhism uh, um, reference book, yeah? That cycle, moment to moment to moment, in constantly at craving and clinging past and future in every moment does nothing, does everything to remove you from what's happening because you're so busy cataloging and dreaming about what's next that you're not experiencing, right? Shariputra. Be it known, I see the Buddha's sons and daughters. In other words, everyone has this Buddha capacity. Those who aspire to the Buddha path, many of whom don't, but he wants everyone to aspire to the Buddha. That's the compassion, right? If only they knew. In the incalculable thousands of myriads of millions, all with differential thought, right? They all experience life differently. They all have different attachments, clinging, dreams, wishes, aversions. Hmm? All with deferential thought, all coming before the Buddha. They know this is something important, but they all have different ways of getting there, yeah? Having formerly heard from the Buddhas, they know they could be, there's more to life than what they're experiencing. Everyone knows this. Hmm? Dharmas preached by resort to expedient devices. Then I had this thought. Quote, the reason a Buddha emerges is to preach Buddha wisdom. It's, it's an automatic statement of being, is to want those around you to also being, right? It's everyone is a reflection. Our environment is a reflection of our own experience. And, and this is important to remember Buddha and Buddhaness are only experienced in the sentient mind. Therefore, this is a very human construct, concern, experience, yeah? Now is the very time for it, because I am now enlightened, right? Shariputra, be it known that men of dull faculties and slight wisdom, they who cling proudly to signs, right? This, that, other, these are signs, right? Signs always point to something rather than the thing itself. cannot believe in this dharma. Or perhaps it should have been translated, don't have the, the uh, hmm, I wouldn't say that. Don't currently understand that they can attain this dharma, even though they all have the capacity, yeah? Now I joyfully and fearlessly 
in the midst of the bodhisattvas, frankly casting aside my expedient means, now in this Lotus Sutra, now after 42 and some odd years of teaching preparatory uh, provisional three teachings, three levels of teachings, now I am casting all of that aside and I'm saying this. The network of their doubts is all cleared away. Frankly, casting aside my expedient means merely preach the unexcelled path. When the bodhisattvas hear this dharma, the network of their doubts is all cleared away. I have said, a thousand two hundred arhats shall also become Buddhas, every one of them. Yeah, for forty-two some years, I've been railing against their arrogance and their pride and saying they're scorching the seeds of Buddhahood. But now I'm saying they'll all attain it with this teaching. So this must be quite a, uh, a, a change, in a, a paradigm shift, yeah? As has been for the Buddhas of the three ages, past, present, and future, the manner in which they preach the Dharma, so I too now preach a Dharma without distinction. There are no other versions of this. This is it. Buddhas emerge into the world at remote intervals, and to encounter them is difficult. This isn't a teaching you can just go to the library and pick up. This is a very unique moment in your life, in your progress, in your development, in your experience of the world, the life, the cosmos, to attain a human being fully enlightened comes to you to teach this. And this is what Shakyamuni is transferring, and we'll learn a lot about that later, transferring to the bodhisattvas, which ultimately are future bodhisattvas, which is you and I, bodhisattvas from beneath the earth, yes? Even when they do emerge in the world, to preach this dharma is also difficult because each one of us has to figure out expedient means, skillful devices, whatever you want to call them, to communicate to the people we encounter in our karmically connected environment so that we can inculcate into them the aspiration to enlightenment, to Buddhahood. Even though they may not believe or, or see in themselves the capacity to do so. We can't muck around with earlier styles of teachings. It's no longer the time for that. Now is the time to aim high to the fullest. Throughout incalculable and countless kalpas, to hear this dharma is no less difficult. And as for one who can listen to this dharma, such a person too is rare. Right? A lot of people can't be bothered. 
They have to be inspired somehow to aspire towards it. I'm too busy making money. I'm too busy da-da-da. The Adambara flower, for example, is loved and desired by all. Regarded as rare both by gods and men, appearing only once at great intervals of time. One who, hearing the Dharma in joy and praise, utters so much a single word, has already made offerings to all the Buddhas in the three ages. Such a person is very rare. So congratulations, friends. Yeah, Rarer than even the Adambara flower. Have no doubts. Over and over again, have no doubts. I, being king of the Dharma, universally address the great multitudes, having recourse only to the path of the one vehicle, teaching and converting bodhisattvas, and having no voice-hearer disciples. So even if you had considered yourself a shravaka, a world, a, a, a level of Dharma teaching that was about hearing the Buddha's words, memorizing them, repeating them. Now you're a bodhisattva. You just are. Because there's no room in this teaching for somebody who's just repeating what they've heard. You now have to experience what the goal of all of this is in this life, actually, right now. Yeah, a lot of Shravakas might not be ready to do that. That's why he says, this is, this is rare. All of you, Shariputra, voice hearers and bodhisattvas alike, are to know that this subtle dharma is the secret essential to the Buddhas. Since the beings of the age of the five defilements long for and cling to their desires alone, since being like these shall never seek the Buddha path, even though they act like they are, since wicked men in ages to come, hearing the Buddha preach the one vehicle, but gone astray and neither believing nor accepting, shall malign the Dharma and fall into evil destinies. These, since there shall be those who disgrace the pure aspirants, aspirants to the Buddha path, I must, for the likes of these, broadly pay, praise the path of the one vehicle. Shariputra, be it known that this, be it known that the Buddha's Dharma is like this, by resort to myriads of millions of expedient devices and in accord with what is appropriate for the situation, they preach the Dharma. But they who have not practiced it cannot understand this. You've got to do it, experience it, and then your mind is attuned, accepting, understanding, because the experience is already in your life, but you won't believe it until you actually do it. All of you knowing now that the Buddhas, the teachers of the ages, in accord with what is peculiarly appropriate, have recourse to expedient devices. All of you can do the same. 
need have no more doubts or uncertainties because once experienced, you then can create effective inspirations, analogies, parables, whatever, in order to help people to aspire to this because now you've experienced it. Your hearts shall give rise to great joy since you know that you yourselves shall become Buddhas. And that's the end of the first roll, right? This is all in rolls. Now he's going to start roll two. And we'll start with that parable in chapter three. It's pretty amazing stuff. And I'm, I'm enjoying this translation. It seems quite distinctly different than the ones we've read before, doesn't it? Same message. And uh, I appreciate, especially if you've listened through the, the whole podcast video. Thank you. Thank you for your support. Take a few seconds to like and subscribe. I've, I'm, I'm seeing the subscription numbers go up and down, up and down, up and down all the time. And... Other YouTubers have mentioned that sometimes YouTube seems to just drop people randomly. I don't know if that's a real experience or not. All I can say is that it, it varies back and forth. But if you're subscribed, uh, if you've subscribed before, or if you're subscribing now, uh, make certain that uh, you're still subscribed. I don't know. Let me know in the comments if you've experienced anything like this. Um, but... The subscription numbers and the liking, the likes, uh, they really affect the, the uh, algorithm. And so it's the primary means of support for this sangha, this teaching, uh, this uh, resource, right? Which is more than just these videos. It's the free podcast. It's a, it's a free information on threefoldrows.com. All the links are in the description. You know this. Um. And if you can do more, you know, buy ebooks or print books, uh, or just use Patreon or straight to PayPal to help support this resource, this effort. Uh, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, with that, I'm going to let you go, and I will look forward to the parable of the third chapter. We'll see how that translation goes. Okay, thank you. Please take care of your health. It's very important. To me, to you, to your loved ones. Yeah. And uh, in that, you can keep your practice strong. Savor it. It's amazing. And I'll see you in the next video. Thanks a lot. Bye for now.